and Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 120. And you know what? First things first. Let's say thank you to a few special people. The Patreoners? That's right. All right. Thank you so much, Callie P. from Illinois. Christina B. from Indiana. Michelle S. from Tennessee. Julie P. from Ontario, Canada. Tanya S. from Texas. And Jesse T. from North Carolina. Thank you all so much for joining Patreon. And if you are on the $10 tier or above, be looking out for your thank you videos because we recorded all day Sunday and knocked them all out. So y'all all should have gotten it. So check your email. You want a video? You want a shout out? Head on over. Patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Damn, you want a job at OxyClean? <laughs> all right. And moving right along. I'm just going to start my story. We clearly are boring AF right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Like, literally, nothing to talk about. I mean, they came here for the stories, right? That's your story, and you're sticking to it. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, that's why we're jumping right into the stories. (laughs) Okay, so I started watching old episodes of Ghost Adventures. Like, started from the bottom, now we're here. Season one, episode one, that type of shit. All right, so made it to episode four, and I felt like I haven't heard anything about this particular location on podcast. Granted, I've been listening to a lot of true crime lately. Shout out without warning. I'm hooked. Anyway, I decided, why don't I cover it? Sidebar, you should make one of those TikTok videos that say, Day one of watching Ghost Adventures. (laughs) Day two of watching Ghost Adventures. Oh, my God, yeah. Day three, I've been possessed. Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) But, like, day two, have on bedazzled jeans. Oh, my God. (laughs) And also, it just so happens that it's located in Florida, same state you're going for vacay. So, picture it. 1905, West Palm Beach, Florida. We've all heard of grave robbing and the like, and it was a growing concern in 1905 with the city of West Palm Beach. The first cemetery of West Palm Beach was Woodlawn, and in an attempt to stave off grave robbers and other vandals, this house was built. It served as a funeral parlor because of its convenient location to Woodlawn, but also it housed cemetery workers. It started off being known as the Painted Lady because of the house's bright colors. But because of the house occupants, it was soon known as another nickname, the Gatekeeper's Cottage. Then in 1920, the house gained a new name, and this one is the one that stuck. It became known as the Riddle House. Carl Riddle moved his family into the house and converted it into a private residence. He did take on the role of gatekeeper or overseer of Woodlawn Cemetery. He was also the first West Palm Beach City manager and superintendent of public works. Well, not long after the family moved in, strange things started to occur. And Carl decided to keep a diary of all the incidents and mishappenings, like how the stairs would creak with noises that sounded like somebody was dragging up a chain step by step. And then things got sad. While the Riddle family lived in the house, there was a man named Joseph who became one of the groundskeepers of the cemetery and also just a general handyman around the house for Carl. Well, one day, Joseph walked into the house, made his way upstairs, into the attic, and he then hanged himself (gasps) from the rafters. Oh, no. It's said that he was having terrible financial problems and that might have driven him to die by suicide. Or another theory is that Joseph was being accused of stealing and that he felt betrayed and that with his financial issues and now he might be labeled a thief, that it was too much for him to bear and that's what drove him to die by suicide. It didn't take too long for the news to spread and that made it harder for employees to stick around. Because things that they had just brushed off before as being odd or eerie seemed to be more of a regular occurrence now and definitely more sinister. 
And we know from Carl's diaries that some of the workers reported seeing shadowy apparitions. They heard murmurs or whispers when no one else was around. And they started to hear the same sounds that Carl did of chains dragging the floor and the stairs. There were even some who felt an unseen person touching them. Carl and his family moved when he quit because things got way too much to handle. And every business that leased the place after didn't last too long either. It was once even used as a female dorm for Palm Beach Atlantic College in the 80s. But again, not for too long due to the general heaviness of atmosphere and the strange noises and everything that went bump in the night. In 1995, the house was doomed to be demolished. However, John Riddle, whose uncle was Carl Riddle, he proposed that the house be donated to him and he would work to restore it to its full glory and he would put it on display as an exhibition at Yesteryear Village. And that is a history park of it's like original as well as replica buildings dating from the late 1800s to the mid-1900s. I think there's a total of 30 buildings on like a five-acre village. And it's located on the South Florida fairgrounds. And John's plan worked. The city donated the house and John wasted no time getting it moved to yesteryear at the fairgrounds. The house had to be sectioned to be moved. The roof and the attic were split, and same with the first and second floors. Then they were all reassembled once everything made it to its final resting place. I don't even understand how that's a thing. I know. Like, how do you just go, hey, boop, the roof off? You I know? know. I know. There was a house that got moved out by mm-hmm. where we live. and, and Like, right? how does everything not shift? I mean, like, I can't even pick up a jenga board <laughs> right much eat i mean like a whole motherfucking house Mm-mm. i don't know how people like on those cake decorating things where they have to transfer it from their thing to the judging table i'm like how do you do that this move seemed to stir up the activity again many construction workers noted that their tools would go missing or be placed somewhere that they shouldn't have been Sometimes they would find the tools that they left in the attic thrown around on the ground. Also, there were incidents like windows on the third floor randomly shattering for no reason. Ladders being moved or tipped over. And then there was this one time that Steve Carr, who was one of the carpenters on the site, he was hit over the head with the lid from a cast iron pot that apparently was thrown across the room from an unseen force. That's like a fucking cartoon. Mm-hmm. And he lived? Yep. Another time, a two-by-four was hurled across the room and struck a guy on the head right next to Steve Carr. And these accidents, quote-unquote, were blamed on the ghost of Joseph. And if you think about the ladders being moved and stuff, they point to Joseph because he kicked the ladder over when he died by suicide. Mm. And so now he's thought to be a violent, hostile spirit, especially towards men. As a result, many of the workers left the project because they were just like, fuck this. Like, I'm not not getting hazard pay on this. You know, no. And so construction was halted for six months until new workers were found and the work eventually resumed and was completed. After the house was rebuilt, an open invitation social gathering was held for the community to come welcome the newest addition to the yesteryear village. So it was like, you know, the grand opening, ribbon cutting, you know, all the things. Well, during the event, several guests witnessed a strange young couple dressed in out-of-date, like early 20th century-style clothes wandering around the house before abruptly vanishing. Guests assumed they were workers in period costumes because they were so on point. Well, when it came time to unveil some pictures of the original Riddle House in the original location, all of the things, and they were unveiled on plaques, the same two people were seen in that picture. No. And today, the Riddle House is still as active as ever. 
Workers have had their hair pulled, lights frequently turn on and off, furniture gets moved around, and American flags seem to disappear from closets. Why are they in closets? I guess if they have extras. I have no idea. Marilyn Reinhardt, she is a maintenance woman at Yesteryear. She said that she's heard the house's creepy noises, and when she goes into the different rooms of the house, she has that feeling of being watched. And another thing is that many people hear music from the 1920s in the attic, and voices are often heard in the children's room. And of course, there's cold spots that appear and disappear throughout the house, which is super common with any haunted house. Barry Reed, who is the former chief of security at yesteryear, he said that he would all the time get calls about lights going on and off, but also, more spooky than that, he would get calls that people witnessed people moving across the windows in the Riddle House when no one was supposed to be in there. And when they went and checked, no one would be in there. Because it was Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> oh my that God. His parents are all having a party. Yeah. <laughs> now, before employees enter the house, they will warn slash greet the spirits because they're scared of being attacked. Oh and it's God. just kind of like, hey, let's be, you know. Let's be friends. Yeah. Sometimes visitors have claimed to hear music playing in other rooms, but it always turns out that there's no music being played or they can never pinpoint the exact location. One of the most popular ghosts, his name is Buck. He's believed to have worked at Woodlawn Cemetery back in the day. It's said that Buck's life came to an end after an argument went terribly wrong and got physical. And people have witnessed Buck's spirit wandering the grounds and on the Riddle House's porch. And this is because that was Buck's favorite place to take his breaks and eat his meals when he was alive. Um, weird that I said that about Macaulay Culkin and he played in a movie called Uncle Buck. <laughs> Synchronicity! It is. Your favorite fucking word! It is. Well, Buck spirit is said to be nice and have no vengeance or malintent. And he's thought to be simply residual energy because he's really never attempted to interact with anyone and just do his daily routine like he never left the cemetery because maybe he didn't. Do you know who he got in the fight with and why? No, it was someone from the town. The kitchen is said to be haunted by an angry spirit of a woman, and she's often heard slamming dishes and making all sorts of noise. Upstairs in the children's bedroom, some have witnessed the spirit of a young boy, and most say that the children's bedroom is filled with sadness. One witness saw a torso hanging in the attic through a window, and they thought it was a mannequin, but when they went through the house, they were like, mm, nothing is hanging up here. You know, like, where's the mannequin? Yeah. Where's that? And nothing was like that inside. So, again, like you're home alone. Mm-hmm. It's not there. Another visitor was on the staircase during a private tour, and all of a sudden, a piece of wood flew down and hit them in the head, and no one could figure out where the wood came from. There's been several sightings of a white lady or, you know, a female dressed in white period clothing, and she's often walking a white Afghan dog, and they both simply disappear. There was one time that one of the maintenance staff was in the funeral parlor, and she was going to vacuum the carpet, but when she went to move backwards, she noticed that there was a chair that had been moved right behind her where nothing had been before. And then on backpackerverse.com, Will G., who's a ghost hunter, he was interviewed and he said that him and his crew investigated the Riddle House three years ago. And he said that it wasn't going well because there was nothing, nada. But then, and I quote, when all of a sudden, 
And I mean out of freaking nowhere, man. This guy, Joseph, comes screaming literally out of the woodwork. I could see through him, but he grabbed me just the same. I felt his hands around my throat as he screamed in my face to get out of here. I can tell you we left right that minute. And then the interviewer asked, would you go back? And Will said, maybe, but not without a priest. Holy shit. So I mentioned Dibbick Douche and his crew investigated the Riddle House on their first season. During this investigation, they heard doors slamming, footsteps mostly in the child's room and attic, and bells ringing. Zach had set up a two-by-four board on the stairs to the attic to see if Joseph would move it or throw it like he did before. And not long into the investigation, they heard some loud clattering, whatevs, some noise, and went to check, and the two-by-four had been tossed down the stairs a pretty good distance. That's a strong fucking ghost, if it's like, if that's real. Mm-hmm. Then there was a young female child's voice in the toy room that was called, like, an EVP. You couldn't make out what she said, but you can tell, like, it was a little girl's voice. When Nick and Zach are in the parlor, something or someone tips over the American flag that Zach brought in. And he brought the flag in because it's noted that any times that the employees bring any in and they try to hang a flag, it gets torn down. Hmm. And then Zach goes up to the flag and he shows the camera how much force it takes to tip over the flag. And it's not like a gust of wind could do it. So like you said, it's a strong spirit right. who can do this, like with a two by four with the flag, how it was. And I mean, you know how I feel about ghosts. Like, I, I don't know. But I feel like most ghosts could do one or the other, mm-hmm. not both, within the same time span. Yeah. Well, Aaron was left alone in the attic. Surprise, surprise. And he was doing his own EVP session while a large bird cage was knocked over behind him. And it was caught on tape. And Aaron runs out screaming, like, you know, like anyone would. He's trying to provoke Joseph, and I'll I'll explain in just a minute, like, why he was specifically picked. But Joseph had special hatred towards Aaron. Well, this was actually the first episode that Ghost Adventures used a psychic medium. And her name was Sheila Powell. And right away, she hones in on an overwhelming feeling of sadness and anger in the kids' room. And she says that a heated argument between at least four men from West Palm Beach took place in that room, and it led to a suicide in the attic. Holy shit. Yeah. The subject of that argument was a man, and she said his name had a hard J And, like, started talking, and she got the name Joseph. And he was wrongly accused of stealing money from either a company or someone who was she-she in West Palm. And it was, like, one of those men who did it. But he, you know, he he was from a well-to-do family. And, like, I can't take the blame for that. And so it was pinned on Joseph. Damn. So that one theory that people had, could, you know, seems to be correct. That lines up with, with him being labeled a thief and stuff. Right. And then when they got to the attic, she says there's a violent spirit who's present and he likes to throw things and has a special kind of hate for men because of what happened in the past. And that's when she looked right at Aaron and she was like, he really hates you. Oh, my God. Yeah. I wonder why. Well, okay. So this was, you know, season one. Well, they had this show called Ghost Adventures Aftershocks. And him and Aaron went back and interviewed Sheila and some other people from the Riddle House. And she said it was because of what Aaron looked like. I figured. And so it reminded him of one of those three people who were in that room with him who ultimately caused his death damn yeah well back to the season one thing though they all agreed that the malicious 
evil spirit is probably Joseph and that he seems to feed off of people's fear, which is why he's aggressive. And that was another thing then that she said that he was drawn to Aaron because Aaron showed his fear more than anyone else, you know? Mm-hmm. And then another thing about Joseph, she said that he spends a lot of time watching people from the window of the attic and scaring them. Damn. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to mention about Joseph, the beam where he hanged himself from, it reportedly caught fire. It was the only one and it was like charred. But all the things around it were okay? All of it was okay. No. Mm-mm. And it still remains a mystery, much like most of the spirits of the Riddle House. Um, when you have a fire and it burns something, it's supposed to burn the shit around it. Mm-hmm. That's fucking weird. Yeah. So, I hope you liked it. Oh, my God. I just want to know why he's so damn strong. I know. Well, also... He might have got stronger because when they moved to Yesteryear Village, like, there's a lot of old buildings that have their own ghost. Because Zach even said, like, this reminds him of, like, the Village of the Dead. Because, you know, it has so much history in this five acres. And so the houses could feed off of each other. and That's true. You know, and so it's, like, making its own portal almost. Yeah, I was wanting to ask about, like, were, are there other houses in that yesteryear mm-hmm. that are haunted? Yeah. Look, I don't want a ghost, but I damn sure don't want a ghost that can move fucking Mount Everest. <laughs> right? Not a two by four. Mm-mm. Dang, I like that, though. I wouldn't have to worry about the pot lid because, you know. You don't cook? Yeah. I mean, popcorn wrapper would be the most damage he could do. Do you own a cast iron anything? Yes. I do. Pass down from my mama. Thank That's you very true. much. That's true. Mm-hmm. Do, do you own one that wasn't passed down? No. The passed down one's probably the best one anyway. Mm-hmm. It's cured. Well, I liked that story. Well, good. I hope y'all did. Now, hopefully your story doesn't get me revved up like your other one did. Yeah, last week was rough. It was real rough. Well... You're probably going to get mad at this one, but it's very different. This story is one of my favorite forensic files. Y'all know I love that show. And one of the articles I found said that the producer of Forensic Files said this was his favorite episode out of all 400 episodes. Damn. So, here we go. We're going to Kipling, Saskatchewan. It's a tiny little town, and it's even said that the farm animals outnumber the residents. Dang. So, very little crime happening. Those damn cows. Tipping over. (laughs) And we're going to one of our favorite days, October 31st, 1992. Ooh. So, you know, little seven-year-old Carrie and Donna. Donna was probably Medusa. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I was either a clown or... Something that was just a hand-me-down costume. (laughs) Donna's sister was Pinterest before Pinterest was a thing, and I got hand-me-downs. There was a girl who's known as Candace or Candy, but I'm going to call her Candy throughout the episode. So Candy was working at a local gas station, and she had a boyfriend, and he stopped by as she was getting off work just to visit. Well, they got in this huge argument about what I don't freaking know. So she is like... I'm getting the fuck out of here, and I'm going to go see my friend. Well, her friend worked at the local hospital. When she got there, her friend wasn't there, but this nurse saw her and was like, girl, you okay? Like, she was basically hysterical. And so the nurse was like, you're so upset. I really think you need to stay for a minute and see a doctor. So clearly she had to be very upset for them to recommend that she see a physician. Well, Dr. John Sneeberger was the doctor who was on call. And it worked out pretty great because he was actually her doctor and delivered her baby and everything. So in the exam room, he's like, okay, look, how about this? I'll just, I'll give you a sedative because you really, you know, you really need to calm down. And she was no longer like hysterical. And she felt like 
I'm, I think I'm okay. And he was like, no, no, no. I really think you need, you really need a sedative. And she was like, okay. So he gives her a shot and pretty much immediately she loses control of all of her muscles and just kind of collapses on the exam room table. Oh my gosh. She said it was like everything went hazy, but she was still conscious, but very, very hazy, very, very sleepy, kind of that in and out of sleep and like trying to yell, but it was coming out like a, like a groan. Mm -hmm. Cause she was like, what, like, what the fuck? Where my mom, you know, I can't do anything. Like got this sedative and she fucking sedated. Yeah. I'm just picturing like her looking through like Vaseline. Yes. After Dr. Sneeberger gave Candy the sedative, she alleged that he climbed on top of her and raped her. (gasps) No. She likened it to being at the dentist and getting your mouth numbed and then pulling a tooth. You can't feel the pain, but you can feel the pressure. Yeah. And she said she was numb and she couldn't feel pain but she could feel the pressure of him, like, on and in her. Oh, my gosh. Candy ended up regaining her consciousness after a while of being, you know, sedated. And she's still in the exam room. And when she comes to, she's like, did that just fucking happen? Like, was I just raped? And so, although she's still very hazy, she has the wherewithal to actually take her underwear off and get like a specimen bag that Ziplocs takes her underwear off and puts it in there and like Ziploc airtight, which I'm like, girl, go on with your bad self. Cause I would not have fucking thought of that. Mm-mm. Especially when it was almost like a date rape drug, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And she was able to have the presence of mind enough to go. I need to, I'm not sure if this happened, but I think it did. So let me take my underwear off and save it, you know? Yeah. So she has the bag, and she kind of stumbles out of the room, and there were two nurses working that night, and they were like, I really think you need to sleep it off here, like lay down in one of the hospital beds, sleep it off, and then go home in the morning. And she didn't tell either one of the nurses that she thought she had been raped. Also, that whole scenario is very Canada to me. Like, that is such a foreign concept to be like... A nurse is like, well, just see this doctor. And he's like, well, let me just give you this sedative. Well, why don't you just stay the night in the hospital? Like, that is, like, yeah, foreign concept to me. Like, they would have, like, kicked you out here, you know? Yeah. Very different medical system. The next morning, she wakes up, and I picture Dr. Sneeberger doing his rounds. And she confronts him. She's like, what the hell was that drug you gave me last night? And he said, why? Did it give you bad dreams? Uh-huh. She, uh-huh. Mm. She said immediately she knew it was going to be an uphill battle. Yep. That next day, she called her parents, and she's like, I think I was raped. Like, I really think this happened. And her parents obviously believed her. And she said, I'm going to go to Regina, which is a town like two hours away from her. And it's a clinic where she could get a rape kit done. When they do the rape kit, they find semen in her underwear, her jeans, and in a vaginal swab. You know, and part of her going for the rape kit was because she was hazy, and she was like, no, I know that I was raped, but maybe I wasn't. You know, let me go do this rape kit and see if something comes up. Yeah. Because while she knows in her heart of hearts it happened, she's still, in the back of her mind... Maybe he was right. Maybe it did give me crazy dreams. Yeah. Well, and it's hard to reconcile that the man who delivered your child, who is your primary health care provider, would take advantage of you like that. Mm-hmm. The clinic also took a blood sample to run like a toxicology type drug screen thing. And they found that the sedative that he had given her was versed. And they were like, wait, 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 what? Yeah, what? That's an anesthetic. So why the fuck did he give you that? And so, like, with Versed, again, I'm not a nurse or a physician, but 
it's meant to be used as an anesthetic to like get you ready for anesthesia. It relaxes all of your muscles. You get really, really tired and go to sleep. So Candy makes a formal complaint against the good old doc and says like, you know, look, he raped me. Well, everybody in the community stood behind the doctor. Of course. He was one of those people everybody looked up to. He was a pillar in the community. He was married. He had four kids. Like, he had two kids, and then his wife had two from a previous relationship. So, two biologicals, two stepkids. And he was a young physician, and so everybody was like, um, okay, Candy is a single mother who had a high school education, worked at a gas station, was quote, known as a partier, you know, all the shit to try to, like, make someone seem like they were, they're less than Mm -hmm. the person they are accusing, which is such fucking bullshit. Yes. So, they're like, okay, this girl probably really does like him, and she's just trying to get attention, or she likes him, and he rejected her, so she's trying to get revenge. What the hell? Or they're like, well, also, she's a single mom working at a gas station. He's a physician. She probably wants money. No. Which, and she's like, no the fuck I don't. He raped me. The other thing that the town folk said was that they didn't believe her because when she kind of came to and was talking to the night nurses, she didn't disclose to them. And so they're like, how could this quote, charming medical professional who is, again, a pillar in the community doing fundraisers and stuff to even, like, build a public swimming pool. You know, just just this, quote, unquote, pillar of the community versus this person that they deem less than. Again, which she's fucking not. We need people to do all types of jobs to make this world go round and Just because someone has a specific job does not make them less than a human than someone who maybe makes more money. Exactly. You can tell a lot about a person based on how they treat people who have, like, quote, menial jobs. Yeah. Which, I mean, fuck them. I mean, who made the list of jobs that were better than other jobs? Exactly. And I don't think it's weird that she didn't tell the nurses because she had to sleep it off still. Mm-hmm. So she was still in that dazed state. And very vulnerable. Yeah. So let's say that she did tell them. And let's say that they were like, like didn't believe her. Mm-hmm. Or half believed her. And they said something to the doctor. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh shit, she remembers it. Let me give her a little bit more. Exactly. And oh, whoops, she had an allergic reaction. And she coded. She was still in a very vulnerable position that she had to take care of herself. Mm -hmm. And if I've learned anything from SVU, people don't always disclose like that. Exactly. And when she came to, she did to her parents. Yeah. There was a lot of back and forth. He said, she said bullshit. Thank you, Limp Biscuit. And Dr. Schneeberger got enough of it and was like, I'll fucking take a DNA test. Like, I'm over this. I didn't do it. I'm going to take a DNA test. Well, the results came back, and he wasn't a match. What? Mm-hmm. So, his wife, her name was Lisa, or, her, well, her name still is Lisa. She was, like, a little on a rampage. Like, she would, on TV, like, call Candy a slut and all this stuff because she's standing behind her husband and you can stand behind your husband and not not victim. You know what this feels like a little bit to me? It feels a little bit like Bill Cosby's wife's reaction. Mm -hmm. She's very aggressive towards the women who have accused Bill Cosby, much like Lisa was to Candy. And now Lisa has the, backing up of look his fucking dna didn't match yeah so while i can understand her anger and her want to support her husband like that's not okay yeah you cannot treat someone who is a potential victim that way whether you believe him or not yeah you can definitely back your husband because proof is in the pudding his dna didn't match but you don't have to tear her down right Hell, you could 
still be supportive of her. You could be like, this still happened to her. My husband wasn't the one who did it. Duh. But now it's up to everyone to find out who did. Right. Well, Candy's like, I'm not fucking letting this go. I was raped. And I know it was Dr. Schneeberger. Like, I fucking know. It's it's him. We were in that exam room. He gave me the shot. Like, this is what happened. And she's like, somebody fucking tampered with the test. I don't know what happened, but I do know he fucking did this. And also, why would he give her that that sedative? Versed. Yeah. You know what I mean? If he wasn't up to something... Sinister. Yeah. Well, she is not backing down. And so Schneeberger's like, look, I'll take another fucking test. I'll give you another DNA test. So this time, when they draw his blood, the police are present. And this time, when the DNA comes back, it's still not a match. Oh, my goodness. And Dr. Schneeberger's like, look. Yes, I gave her the injection of Versed to calm her nerves. And sometimes that drug causes hallucinations as a side effect. And they can be hallucinations of sexual activity. He's like, I did not do this. Which, I mean, cool. Okay, so let's say that the the Versed does cause sexual hallucinations. Where did the fucking semen come from? Right, right. She was raped. Yes. Because she says, look, she's maintained the whole time that she had not had sex in weeks. So the semen wasn't there before she got to the hospital. It had to have come once she was in the hospital. I feel like someone has come in after he left. He gave her the injection. He left. And then someone came in and saw her laid out and was like, smorgasbord, smorgasbord. Well, now we're in 1994. So it's been two years. Wow. And the police dropped the investigation. What the hell? Because they're like, he has tested negative. You know, his DNA twice. You know, he didn't do this. It's time to fucking move on, right? Well, that's fine if it's not him, but it's still an open case for her. And, you know, the thing is, too, is that the people in the community were so mean to her. Because, again, it was like this... Lower class woman. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't agree with that. But I'm right. just saying how it was treated. She was attacking and coming after this physician who, for the 1800th time, was a pillar in the community, and so they treated her like shit. Well, she's like, I am not fucking giving up. I know I was raped, and I know he did it. So she ended up hiring a PI on, with her own money. This P.I. breaks into his car. Oh, my God. Finds some hair, like, on the seat, but there were no roots on the hair, so they couldn't use it. But before he gave up looking in the car, he found a tube of chapstick, and he swiped it. Swiper no swipey. Well, now that they had something that they could test DNA, Candy paid for a DNA test out of her own pocket because the police had fucking given up on her. And when they tested the DNA on the chapstick, it was a match. What the hell? Is this not such a good story? Yes. Okay. So Candy is like, part of her is so fucking relieved because she's like, vindication. Like, I told you it matched. Yeah. But you know that's not the end. Because right. it's like, okay, well, you've got this match. But um, you can't prove that that chapstick was chapstick that he actually used. It was just in his car. So it really could have been technically anybody's. And also, you know, the whole breaking and entering thing, you broke into his car and stole it. So you can't use that in court. Yeah. But it's also like, okay, this is his DNA. But how the fuck? Two DNA tests, two blood tests. And he fucking passed. Like, how the fuck? The second time, the police were there, watched the nurse stick the needle in his vein and pull the blood out, right? Okay, okay we don't need a... Uh-uh. Donna doesn't do needles. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no. Okay, so at this point, Candy is getting nowhere with the police. So what she did was she filed a civil suit. 
And she ended up pressing charges with the local medical society. So now, under pressure again, he agrees to another DNA test. Like another, like, legit, no breaking and entering DNA test. Did they specify not blood? Well, this time they did it at the police forensics lab. They had a technician who at first was going to stick his finger because that's like the normal protocol. And he was like, no, no, no. I have a disorder that like you can't use my fingers because I'll bruise. Hold the fuck up. You mean to tell me you can exonerate yourself by getting stuck in the fucking finger. But you're like, "Mm, no, no, no. Look, I'll bruise. This shit has been going on at this point for seven years. Seven years? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to give them blood because you may bruise? Okay, so he's here voluntarily. So she's like, okay, you don't want your finger. Here, let let me draw some blood. And when she draws the blood, it doesn't come out at first. And so she switches vials because she was like okay well maybe the suction like Mm -hmm. the vacuum on the vial was bad which happens sometimes and all this is being filmed he's very calm you know it's all being filmed and after she gets the blood and he's gone she's still being filmed and she's shaking it she's like you know that was weird she's like and the blood looks kind of old this is weird and in the video you could tell She was uncomfortable. Like, you could tell that there was some sort of, like, gut reaction to something wasn't sitting right with her. Yeah. Well, when they get the results back, the blood was too degraded for a DNA test. Whoa. So, Candy's like, what the fuck? Like, this is bullshit. Like, what the fuck? Well, on April 25th, 1997... The perfect date and my dad's birthday. Dr. Schneeberger's stepdaughter tells her mom that he, for years, has been coming into her room at night, (gasps) giving her injections, and raping her. No. For years. Oh, my gosh. So, the wife loses her shit and finds in the house this box And in the box, it has needles, condoms, drugs, and by drugs, I mean Versed. Wow. So the wife, who has been like, fuck you, Candy, flips. She is like, fuck this. He did this to my daughter. You know, like, skirt. What? Yeah. So this broke... I mean, this is a whole new case, but it broke Candy's case, busted it wide open. Mm -hmm. So now the police have to take notice. They have to fucking do something. So he was arrested for the rape of his stepdaughter. And this time, when they went to get his DNA, on the video, it was like a different person sitting there. The last time, he was so calm, and he was, you know, just looked like... Me giving blood, you know. Mm-hmm. This time he looked like you giving blood. Yeah. <laughs> very anxious, very fidgety, very like solemn looking. And instead of drawing blood this time, they take a hair sample, a buccal sample, and blood from his fingertip. And guess what? It's a match. It matched the DNA with his stepdaughter and Candy. What was he doing? So, yeah, it's like, how in the actual fuck did he pass two, technically two, but really three? Because a third, they just couldn't really test it. Mm -hmm. How the fuck did he pass so many DNA tests? So he goes to trial for the rape of Candy and his stepdaughter, who we don't know her name. And a lot of stuff doesn't even have Candy's last name in it. And I did find it, but I'm not going to say it because it's not... And I did find, like, the name his wife is living under now. But again, who nobody, who cares? Right. We know their story and we're supporting them as victims. But I also feel like by not disclosing their current names, that's protecting them. So when he's on the stand, he says, okay, okay, okay. This is what I did. He said that 
after she accused him, he got this little tube and put one of his patient's blood in the tube and then surgically implanted that tube in his arm. What? Like right where you would normally get blood drawn. Mm -hmm. And he says, look, I had to do this for my own protection because he's like, Candy's crazy. She basically like was infatuated with him. She's, he said, she broke into my house and she stole a used condom and that's how she got semen all over her. So I had to do this to protect myself because she had my DNA. Uh, okay. And it's like, look, people do some crazy fucking shit, but please. Who the fuck you think you're fooling? Mm-hmm. But that's why that third time at the forensic lab... They had such a hard time getting a draw on it because mm-hmm. it was almost empty. And that's why the blood looked so old because that should have been in his arm like three years. Oh, my God. That blood was was degraded. Ugh. So if you look back at the video, too, from the second DNA test, the first time he was, like, police were there and he was videoed, you can see it in his arm now that you know what you're looking for. Because he had on a long sleeve shirt and he, like, rolled his sleeve up and was careful about how far he pulled it up. And he pulled it up a little too far at first, just kind of adjusting it, like while they were turned around getting their stuff together. And like you can see this tube like in his arm. Oh my gosh. See, this is why I can never be a criminal because I am not putting anything up in my uh uh-uh. uh. I couldn't surgically implant anything. Well, he had enough versa to do it himself. Oh, God. So, finally, his trial is ended. He's found guilty. And this motherfucker got sentenced to six years. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Because he's a pillar in the community. Yeah, what a piece of shit. Okay, so, on the episode of Forensic Files, Candy is, like, being interviewed. Homegirl gets a phone call, like, while she's being interviewed. And, because this is four years into his sentence now. And he was up for parole. And she found out, like, on the phone, on Forensic Files, that his parole was denied. Mm. So he had to serve out his six years in prison. So I found an article about, like, what happened basically after Forensic Files aired. So he served his time. His meager mm-hmm. six years. Exactly. And then he started going by the name Stephen. Right after he got out of prison, he moved to Regina, which is where Candy lived. Oh, my gosh. But they took away his medical license, and he started working construction. Okay, so the doctor is actually from Zambia and later South Africa. And... When he applied for his Canadian citizenship in 1993, so the year after the rape, he didn't disclose on the application that he was being investigated for rape. Ooh. So they deported his ass. Hell yeah. So when he got back to South Africa, he did not have the loving well-wishers like he had in Canada because the people in Canada were actually like writing letters oh my god people make me sick yes writing letters to keep him from being deported saying that he needed a chance to say goodbye to his kids and blah 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 blah. oh the one that he raped no because he raped his stepdaughter but that's still a kid no no no. i know but i'm saying they wanted him to have access to his biologicals don't let him don't let him well and and lisa fought tooth and nail to stop it Uh uh-huh but because they were only five and six years old oh mm -mm. yes So she actually had to pay $2,000 because she was in contempt of court for not allowing those kids to see him at first. Okay, Lisa, you came around. So Lisa's quoted saying, at least I can say to my girls when they're older, I tried. They will know that mummy at least tried to keep us away from him. I still blame myself. Maybe if I had believed Candy, none of this would have happened to my daughter. So like I said, he was not well received when he got back to South Africa. He tried to actually, like, get back in medicine. Oh, fuck you. Because his brother is a cardiothoracic surgeon and tried to get him back going medically. And people were calling him Dr. Rape. And, like, 
not have anything to do with it. How can you trust someone, even if you're like, even just like if a piece of you believes mm-hmm. it's like well i'd never want to be alone in the room with him i definitely wouldn't want him to give me any type of sedative because yeah. god knows what he would do you know you yeah. would always have that in the back of your mind when you went mm-hmm. to see him and like you wouldn't take any of your family you definitely wouldn't take your kids Mm-mm. you know like you, how how could you do that i wouldn't even take my fucking animals to him well his brother says quote i don't believe my brother is a saint but I know he's not a fool, and rape in a consulting room when you have asked two nurses to join you is ridiculous. He didn't ask those nurses to come in there. He was in there by himself. Uh-huh. Because, and that's, this kind of shit is why the rules are the way they are when you go to the gynecologist and all now. Mm-hmm. Like, there has to be, even if it is a female physician, you have to have, which is good. I, yeah. I think that's good. It keeps everybody in check. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... Bill, you on the wrong side of history with this one. Yes. And even if you don't believe he raped Candy, which he did, he raped his stepdaughter Mm -hmm. in his house, had a fucking rape kit handy stashed in his house, and probably was going to use it on the other ones. Yep. You know? So, like, fuck you for even backing him up a little bit. Well, he ended up having to move in with his mother and started working in catering and basically dropped off the face of the planet since then. Candy ended up filing a civil suit against him and the Kipling Hospital, which is the city where it occurred. We don't know whatever came of that, you know, from the civil suit. It's closed. So we don't even know if they settled out of court. Not that I saw or could find. But Candy is living her best life. She works as a continuing care assistant for an addiction service facility. And the job title is known as the eyes and ears of the frail and vulnerable. Which is, like this article said, a good fit for someone who has survived a saga like Candy's. Yeah. And I found a lot of those good quotes on a forensic files website that like does this this, the story is kind of like a breakdown of them and it was called epilogue for a canadian rapist and his victim wasn't that isn't that not like the best story because it's like especially back in 1992 93 it was like that was the i'm gonna say the peak because uh, i don't know but i feel like that was kind of the peak of us starting to use dna and to have someone pass a DNA test two times, it makes you question everything. Yeah. But when you really get the details of it, though, it makes me question protocol more than DNA. Mm -hmm. Like when you first hear that, you're like, wait, what do you mean someone had two DNA tests that showed that they weren't a match, but then they had one DNA test that was a match and you convicted? You know, when you hear that, you're like, Again, it makes you question every single case, especially when you've had, which we've seen before with some of these Innocence Project people who the lab was faulty, the lab was doing shady shit, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, it really does make you question everything. And it's so easy to go down that rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. But in this case, it was protocol. Mm -hmm. It was... Again, he was there voluntarily. I mean, all they had to do was a mouth swab. Mm-hmm. If they'd have done that, he'd have been, it'd been over. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. Maybe the answer is, okay, let's do two locations. Let's do yeah. a blood draw and a, and a buccal swab. Let's do a finger stick and a hair. Let's do a whatever. I feel like that should be the standard. I think it may be because that's what they did when he was arrested but the first two times with him being there voluntarily, that's why I think they were on his turf kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so he was able to make the decisions and say, no, I want you to draw here. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, who would have ever thought that somebody would stick a fuck it? I mean, people, I mean, he's probably, there's probably lots of ways that people have faked their DNA stuff. I mean, who the fuck knows? But that's pretty unheard of. Well, and it just shows you, like, so many people who 
think how you were talking about like the town, I'm sorry, how the town people were, you know, not behind Candy because they thought her less than mm-hmm. or whatever. And so they always judge people and they're like criminals or those low people or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, those are the people who get caught because we don't have or they don't have the. Those are the people that when they get pulled over, they get their car searched. So yes. if they have some. So let's say that two people get pulled over at the same time and they get their car searched and the other people don't. Well, even if they both have something, then that person's going to be the one that's quote unquote caught. Yeah. And that's probably the one that can't afford the attorney like the other one can. Yes. And it's like, yeah, he outsmarted everyone because he's a fucking doctor who like is that- fucking pinky in the brain over here that put a pump in his arm. But also that came with a level of respect mm-hmm. from those people who were drawing his blood and all that. Oh, okay. Oh, you've got this condition that makes your fingers bruise? I mean, are you a fucking hand model? Who that gives a fuck? Exactly. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. You want me to draw your blood right there? Okay, I'll do it. Oh, that specific vein? Cool. Okay, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes with this level of respect that you don't have, they don't question things. Mm-hmm. And so he gets away with it. Yeah. Whereas if... Someone who was homeless came in off the street and they were like, No, but can you? I have a condition. They'd be like, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I don't care. You're big deal. Your hand's bruised. I'm going to draw it. You, oh, you want me to draw that arm? Fuck you. I'm doing it in the other one. Yeah. You know, it's just a because people don't have respect for people as humans. Exactly. Not everybody, but a lot of people. Yeah. Which is why we have systemic racism, which is why we have more victims who are sex workers or homeless or substance abuse problems, people of color. You know, all of those marginalized populations, because like you said, someone in a marginalized population that gets pulled over, it's going to be very different than if Dr. Schneeberger gets pulled over. Mm -hmm. Old Dr. John because that's what some people call him, is fucking Dr. Rape. Mm-hmm. Because there's bad people in all walks of life. Yeah. And I'm stepping off my soapbox. See, so last time got you real pissed. This time got me real pissed. Injustices make me angry. Yes. I. It just pisses me off. Like, when people, like, poor Candy. Just think about the people who didn't have the tenacity mm-hmm. and the fight that she had. Resiliency. Yeah. Like, so many other victims, you know, don't have that. And, like, they just suffer. And I don't know. Like, it's just sad. Because everyone was against her. Literally. I mean, other than, like, her, some of her friends and her parents. Yeah. The rest of the town was. And how different would that case still be? Had his stepdaughter not come forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no telling where it would be now. Yeah. And I just think it says so much about Candy of, like, her choice of career, you mm-hmm. know, and that she still she still has faith in people. She's still, you know, mm-hmm. a champion of people. And she's she champions the underdog. Yeah. This case is very reminiscent to me of the Bill Cosby case and Lisa's reaction is the same to me as Camille Cosby's. So just a couple of days ago, I saw this article from the daily mail and it was just from like last month. It talks about Camille Cosby's like first interview since this whole kind of thing happened. And she was asked like, is she concerned about the blowback from the me too movement? Because They're working on an appeal for Bill Cosby. And she said, this is, and I quote, first of all, I don't care what they feel. She talked about like ignoring history and saying, quote, because I'm female, I'm telling the truth and how, and that gender doesn't equal truth. So she said, quote, they need to clean up their acts. And it's all of us as women who have not participated in anything nefarious We know how women can lie. And just the part of, I don't care what they feel. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just like, these people need to clean up their acts and all that. Like, it just broke my heart. Because 
I know that she's hurting, just like Lisa was, and doesn't want to believe that someone that they love and have had children with could be this monster that could literally, both of them, drug women to rape them. And they're both blaming the victims. And it's like, we have to stop blaming the victims. We have to start blaming the monsters that are doing this to them. Yes. Whether you want to believe it or not. Yes. And now I really am stepping off my soapbox. (laughs) I think we've come a long way with understanding how men and women disclose sexual assaults. Whether it be to one friend, whether it be to many, whether it be to none, whether it be that day or 40 years later. There's no right way. There's no only way. And the more I think that we have studies of like case files and stuff of how people, I mean, we, again, we watch SVU. Sometimes people tell a lie the first time they're interviewed because they were drunk or high and they don't want the police to know that. Or, you know what I mean? There's so many confounding variables that have to be accounted for that I think the further out we get and the more we're believing people who are victims and the more we're seeing the patterns of victims some of that will change I hope yeah at least he's not practicing medicine anymore at least he doesn't have access to drugs in the way that he did before yeah at least Candy and his stepdaughter are safe and are moving on with their lives And I guess that's the best we can hope for. Yeah. Tell us what y'all think about this case and the Riddle House. Y'all know we love to hear y'all's opinions and story ideas. So put them in the Facebook group. Email them to us, aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.